Well, that's it, folks. The election is over. Might as well just dispense with the formalities. Let the down-ballot races continue, cancel the presidential ballot, and just appoint Joe Biden president and Kamala Harris VP. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. Please subscribe to us in the iTunes App Store. If you don't have an iPhone and you're working with Android, go to our hosting service, podbean.com, or better yet, go to the Google Play Store, download the podbean.com app, and you can subscribe for free that way to the podcast. This way you won't miss anything. You can also follow our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash National Preview Online and our website as well, nationalpreviewonline.com. Well, of course we shouldn't cancel the election, but that's what the New York Times thinks, according to that rag, uh, and according to the hag who writes for them, Maggie Haberman. She thinks that, uh, I don't know, the president may have to cancel, not bother to run for re-election. All right, look, let's put this in perspective. I mean, I expect crap like that from the New York Times. It ceased being a newspaper long, long ago. But let's get real here. The media is doing nothing but repeating the same false narrative that they've been trying to sell you on day one. It's still just as false, only they're just recycling it and doubling down because now Trump is hit with the coronavirus. Look, this thing is a COVID virus. It is a cold. It is a flu. The reason why it is spread is that it's unique and no one and in that, no one has an antibody for it. Now, they always may be the exceptional um, outlier there that may have some type of natural immunity for it, but they said that nobody has immunity. People may have relative immunity, which is why uh, some people don't feel any symptoms. But the bottom line is, excuse me, a little sore throat, as with most colds and viruses and things like that, the people that most at risk are the people who are already sick or in some sort of compromised state of health, either as a result of their medical history, cancer survivor, heart condition, respiratory issues, diabetes, um, or just old age, where everything is starting to get old and creaky, worn out, and shut down from the rigors of having lived a lifetime. The bottom line is, if you're young and you're vital and you're in good health, you really don't have much of a risk at all. I mean, you can always count exceptions. Uh, but that doesn't mean anything. You can also find exceptions to almost anything in medicine and almost anything in life. You can find very young people dying from rare cancers that typically only affect older people, but it doesn't mean it's something we have to set policy about. I'm sure I can find a young person, young male that has prostate cancer. It's something we usually think of as people get older, but uh, it doesn't mean it can't happen but it doesn't happen with the sort of frequency that requires us to upend our daily living. As I've said before, in this country every year, approximately 54 million people get infected with COVID. 54 million! And we have 64,000 people die of it annually. I'm sure that prior to this COVID-19, that didn't concern you at all. You probably didn't even know it. And you didn't know it because your phone wasn't blowing up every day with things from Twitter and CNN and all the other left-wing kooks out there telling you that this is the thing that you must be most concerned about in your life, when it isn't. I published a show here a couple weeks ago that gave you the straight dope on survival rates. And even among 70-plus-year-olds, 
which is the age group that has the highest mortality from COVID-19. Do you know what the survival rate is? 94.6%. And that's for everyone. That's including, that's everyone grouped together. If you're 74, but you act more like 54 or 64, uh, you're in better shape. Now, there's no question. Nobody can deny it, not even his detractors, that Donald Trump has an exceptional physicality for a 74-year-old man. Um, and the fact that he and his wife uh, were diagnosed with COVID is not something that should alarm anyone. The man gets tested every day, as does the entire first family. So they get at this thing early. And we already know that uh, 98% of the people who get it experience no symptoms. Most people who do experience symptoms will experience mild symptoms, but 98% experience little or no symptoms. Now, after begin experiencing symptoms five or six days after, the viral load explodes in the human body. And it's at that time, if you are one of those people who is going to get very, very deathly sick or, or be in, in, at risk of dying from COVID-19, that's when it's going to manifest itself. Now, there's been great debate in the media among the effectiveness of the hydroxychloroquine, but it is highly effective. But it's more effective or most effective when it's administered at the appropriate time. The appropriate time is, is as soon as symptoms manifest themselves. If you wait the five or six days after the manifestation of symptoms, when the viral load explodes, the effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine is sharply reduced. Prior to that time, that drug given in conjunction with the z pack and a little bit of bed rest, and you'll be good as new in no time at all. But for 90, again, for 98 or 99% of the people. So when it comes to diseases, I, I don't know why everybody is, is going over the top with this COVID-19 thing as if it's uh, the equivalent of the bubonic plague, which it's not. Bubonic plague knocked out a third of the world's population. We're nowhere near that, and we're never going to get anywhere near that. The only reason why it's spread as, mu as much as it has is for the reason I mentioned before relatively no one has an antibody for it. The flu spreads almost as rapidly, expect, except that, say for the sake of argument, you're infected and you're in a crowd of 10 people. There may be four or five people in that crowd that already have antibodies to the flu that you have. So even though you've come in contact with them, only three or four people, let's say, walk away from that uh, crowd infected with the flu who can now in turn infect others. And they go into a crowd, and only a small percentage of those people get infected because many people have antibodies, and so on and so on. The reason why the COVID spread so fast is because you walk into a crowd of 10 people and you're infected. Potentially, 10 people can get infected because none of them have any immunity. So the New York City Police Department, uh, in training films earlier this year, was already operating on the supposition that virtually everyone in New York has already had the COVID-19 virus. And in point of fact, that's one of the principal reasons why the spread of the COVID-19 virus has gone down. Everybody's already had it. It wasn't because of government action in New York, because they waited too long to do it, and they didn't do it right in any case, which is not uncommon when you have two boneheads running the city and the state, Mayor de Blasio and Dumbbell Cuomo up there in uh, Albany. He's about as dumb as a stump, twice as thick. So this is much ado about nothing. The only, about the only fallout I can see uh, for the election, I think most people, unless they're stupid, 
probably know that Trump is not going to die uh, from this. He's going to survive. He's not even going to be probably, he probably won't even be knocked out of doing work. He'll probably still continue to work if I know him. Um, the other thing is <coughs> that they would love to see a transfer of power to Pence maybe and try and declare that Trump is incapable of discharging his duties, but that's not going to happen either. Trump is going to run. Is going to run. Uh, I don't think it's going to affect what his voters do because most of the Trump voters are going to vote in person because we don't trust this mail-in voting. Uh, so what effect is it really going to have on the election? They want you to believe it's going to have a big effect. Well, not really, because the only people who are really obsessed with voting early are basically the liberals and the Democrats, and they had no intention of voting for Trump in any case. So it really doesn't affect anything because I think everyone is so polarized. The other big thing that I want to point out, and it, it just makes common sense. I mean, Trump won, whether you want to cling to that stupid Russia lie or not, it's already been debunked. We've talked about it ad nauseum on this show. But Trump was elected legitimately four years ago. And this was not based on his performance in other elected positions because the man had never been elected to anything before. But he was a business leader. He was an organization man, and he did know how to get things done. He was successful. So his election was a combination of his America First message, his success in business, and complete dissatisfaction on the part of the American public with the status quo and the professional politicians who have been running our lives up until that time. That has not changed. People are still dissatisfied with professional politicians. There is a move afoot to try and get term limits. I think that's a big thing that Trump has planned for his second term. Uh, And there can't be anyone who voted for Trump without any record of achievement in politics four years ago who is now not going to vote for him today. Now, when I say anyone, I'm talking about a meaningful number. Can I find one person? And that's what CNN does. They go find one person. I voted for Trump four years ago, but I'm not voting for him this time. Yeah, I could probably find people who voted for Obama four years ago that didn't vote for him the second time. But what, you don't see CNN hawking that. But these things are, are, are really non sequiturs because they don't take place in any great numbers to have significance. For the most part, there's nobody that voted for Trump in 2016 who, in the wake of everything he's achieved in the last three and a half years, is not going to vote for him again. In fact, if anything, there are people who have been Trump converts. They were expecting something different from the man. And they see now he's a very practical man. He's done a lot of things to bring business back to the United States. Do you really think people who were starving and forgotten in Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, they're going to turn around and vote for that idiot Joe Biden who doesn't even know where he is? Or are they going to vote for the man who brought their jobs back? The same jobs that the Biden-Obama team said were never coming back. They're voting for Trump. So this is a nothing thing. The only real meaningful Uh, fallout from this COVID-19 virus, depending on how long everyone on the Democratic side insists or tries to insist that Trump quarantine himself, is that it may affect the debates. Uh, He'll say they can't go to debate, it's not safe, and Biden will have his excuse to bow out. That's about it. But I think if it does, because we still have 33 days, it'll probably only knock out one debate. Biden will probably have to show up for the other one, which will raise the stakes for that debate, but I think there'll be another debate. And it's not going to stop the vice presidential debate in any case because Vice uh, President Pence 
and his wife have both tested negative. So that debate is going to go off on the 7th of October. So it's really, really contemptible for the New York Times to go into the sewer. But they're finished. The New York Times is finished. They're about as much a newspaper as CNN is a news organization. They're nothing but um, propaganda machines, uh, and the Times probably isn't even good fish wrap anymore. So, uh, and Maggie Haberman uh, should be just swept up into the ash heap. Okay, that's my feeling for you, Maggie. You don't like it? Tough. Now, white supremacist. This is a big thing. Now, Kelly McEnany got into it, or I should say, the media got into it with her. Kept shouting her down and kept insisting that President Trump or she, on President Trump's behalf, denounce white supremacists. Now. She gave them, I don't know how many quotes over the last four years with Trump denouncing white supremacy and white supremacists. And they said, well, can you now finally, he said it how many times, how many more times do you want him to say it? But what I really find interesting is why all this, well, I know why. It's because they're not real media, they're frauds. But I was really surprised by John Roberts really pushing this line. Why all the pressure on Trump to denounce white supremacists while there isn't a single question being asked of Biden or the Democrats to denounce Black Lives Matter and Antifa. In fact, Biden was allowed to get away with saying that Antifa wasn't even an organization. It was simply an idea. This, Chris Wallace, who kept interrupting the president uh, and stopping him, said nothing about this to Biden. Now, why do I mention this? this contradiction. Because last I checked, unless you folks have seen something else on the news, all these riots I've seen in the wake of the George Floyd uh, custody death uh, up in Minneapolis, that are justifying these lootings, and shootings, burnings, taking over of police stations, taking over of complete quadrants of cities in democratically run cities and states, These have all been done by Black Lives Matter and Antifa, all done by ultra left-wing organizations. I haven't seen white supremacists out doing anything. I've seen some people in Ohio, in uh, Iowa, I'm sorry, Idaho, Idaho walking around in, um, in towns with guns strapped up, making sure nobody comes in and loots anything, but I haven't seen them going out robbing anything or looting anything. I've seen them protecting a lot of things. Uh, and then not necessarily white supremacists, just people who happen to be white with guns. So unless automatically, if you're white and you have a gun, you're automatically a white supremacist, unless that's the new definition. I can't see much white supremacist acu- uh, activity out there for Trump and anyone else to have to denounce while we have Black Lives Matter and Antifa committing acts which leap off the pages of the penal law of most state uh, um, legislatures and uh, penal law statutes as patent crimes, and nothing is done or said about it in terms of asking the candidate to denounce these ultra-leftists. So this is ridiculous. This is completely ridiculous. This shows to show you how desperate and how petty they have become. This is completely petty. This is what our journalism, this is what our society is descending into, which makes this election even more important than you can possibly imagine, because if you want more of this... If you want this left-handed journalism, this yellow journalism, just go vote for the Biden-Harris ticket, or as Kamala says it, the Harris-Biden ticket. 
and maybe that's the way it'll be, given the way old Joe is acting. Uh, but that's what you're going to get. You want to have any semblance of having an America like you grew up in, where you could make something of yourself, and you weren't strangled by government regulation, you better vote with the man that's in the White House. Which brings us to another facet of the law. Amy Coney Barrett. She is going to be the ninth justice on the Supreme Court to fill the vacancy of the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Now, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. I understand that the left is upset that they don't get a chance to replace liberal, ultra-liberal Ruth Bader Ginsburg with another ultra-liberal, but that's the way it goes. Elections have consequences. And I, again, as I said the other day, I do not understand why um, Biden is being allowed to get away unchallenged with saying that the people should make the choice in the November election as to who goes on the Supreme Court. Trump was correct when he challenged him. The people have already made their choice. Unlike most people I've ever known that have run for office, Donald Trump, when he ran in 2016, not only pledged to put constitutional purists on the court, people who would treat the Constitution as a, a finite document, not a living document. That's just, that's just liberal dogma, liberal gobbledygook to justify twisting it, perverting it, trying to force it into something that it never was intended to be. This living document is a bunch of horse dung. Donald Trump not only pledged to put strict constructionists and conservative justices on the court who would uphold the rule of law and not make law from the bench, he named who he was going to put on the court. And he has been true to that list. He put Judge Gorsuch on there, the first opportunity he got to fill a vacancy. And he put Brett Kavanaugh on there, both of whom were on that list. Amy Coney Barrett is also on that list. And if somebody else gets knocked off that court... I have every reason to believe that either Judge um, Allison Jones, one of the other ones, or uh, the her name escapes me for the moment, the Cuban, uh, was it Lago? The, the Cuban justice on the uh, circuit court from, from Florida. She was on his list. She'll be nominated. But Amy Coney Barrett is a stellar candidate for the Supreme Court. And with all that seems to be heading down the pike uh, for this country, potentially an election that may be challenged because of these fraudulent mail-in ballots that are being sent in, mail-in ballots for Trump that we find thrown in the garbage, there are a lot of issues that are going to be uh, have to be addressed by the Supreme Court. And already the Democrats are trying to come up with strategies to say that Will you pledge, Judge Barrett, to recuse yourself from any case involving Donald Trump because uh, you were appointed by him? Well, are they also going to ask Judge Kavanaugh to recuse himself because he was appointed by Donald Trump? Are they going to ask Judge Gorsuch to to recuse himself because he was appointed by Donald Trump and leave the case to be decided by three justices, Justice Breyer, Justice Kagan, Justice Sotomayor, 
three liberal justices, and then Justice Roberts, who we don't know what the hell he is, Judge Alito, and Judge Thomas. That's a guaranteed 3-3 tie or maybe a 4-3 the other way because Roberts you can't depend on. Anybody who can massage that that ridiculous piece of legislation known as the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare, uh, and find a way to justify that as a tax is not someone who I rely on as a conservative voice. So either way, we can't have a 3-3 tie. We can't have a 4-4 tie. Something like an election needs a definitive answer, whichever way it goes, so that people have confidence in their government. We also have the Congress looking to do certain things like make D.C. a state, make Puerto Rico a state. This is not to provide additional representation to those areas. D.C. is well represented by the swamp. It is the swamp. Puerto Rico is well represented in Congress by all the Puerto Rican congressmen and congresswomen who are in there here in the States. This is done for one reason and one reason only. They're going to try to stack the Senate and have a permanent majority in the Senate. All the more reason the country needs a bulwark against this sort of radicalism. And there is no better bulwark than a conservative Supreme Court. Amy Comey Barrett is a stellar justice. She's a brilliant woman. She's a great mom. Went to a fine school, Notre Dame. Was an excellent law professor. Clerked for one of the most brilliant minds ever on the bench, Justice Antonin Scalia. We need her there. And she's 47 years old. She'll be there quite some time. We need her there. These are big reasons to vote for Trump. Big reasons. Now, let's just talk about one other thing. I didn't want to get into this, but I'm afraid I have to. All of these things that are going on in the country with terms of the riots, the looting in these democratic cities, have all been precipitated ostensibly by confrontations between the police and people of minority extraction. Now, I'm not trying to make things up, and I don't want to hurt people's feelings. But the stats are the stats. They're collected by individual law enforcement agencies at the state and local level, and they're sent to the FBI in Washington, who tallies them all up. And the bottom line is, that male blacks in this country commit a disproportionate amount of crime as it, as it relates to their percentage of the population. They commit a lot more crime than almost any other demographic. Now, we can debate at another time why there might be socioeconomic reasons for this, but that doesn't change that underlying fact. And the police are not sociologists. They don't deal with the socioeconomic causes of these crime waves. They deal with the aftermath of the crime waves or prevention of the crime waves in the immediate. That's what's bringing these people into conflict with the police. And then you have race baiters like the Al Sharpens of the world who go around and encourage people not to listen to the police. Further flaming, uh, fanning the flames, further creating or potentiating the magnitude of the confrontations. You can complain against the police. You can make complaints. You can sue. You can do a number of things. The one thing you can't do is make an issue of it in the street at the time. Almost every state 
has a version of New York State's no sock law. You can't resist the police. Even if they're wrong, you have to go along with it because it's a matter of public order, public policy, and it's designed to keep things from escalating so we don't have these type of crimes. To say nothing of the fact that most of these cases that people are getting inflamed about are all based on lies. None of the things that are alleged to have happened, happened. Michael Brown did not put his hands up and say, don't shoot. He ran into the radio car and tried to steal the officer's gun and kill him with it. Breonna Taylor was not uh, shot by police who burst into the door and didn't announce their presence. Breonna Taylor was in an apartment. There was evidence that drugs were being dealt from that apartment. Her boyfriend or her friend is the one that fired the first shot. The police announced their presence. They had a no-knock warrant. That's true. And that's probably where the assumption was made that they made it a no-knock warrant. Uh, They had the authority to do that if they wished because the judge signed it that way. But they announced who they were anyway. They didn't avail themselves of the no-knock warrant. They said they were police, and that was confirmed by residents at that uh, housing area, other apartments. They confirmed that the cops did this, and this man fired through a door. Anybody who fires a gun through a door at an unidentified target is being reckless. That's a felony. I've said that before. He started a chain of events with that gunshot, which caused the cops to return fire, and anybody who's killed during the course of that felony, he bears responsibility for. So someone should be indicted for the death of Breonna Taylor, but it should be that man, not the police officers. And this was substantiated by the Attorney General of the state of Kentucky, who himself happens to be a black man. Now, a lot of times, in the old days, these cases weren't caught on film. But now, with the advent of cell phones, a lot of these things are caught on film. So the case that had everybody all bent out of shape is the George Floyd case because it shows George Floyd on the ground and the one police officer with his knee on his neck. But that's selective footage. The actual tape is eight minutes. And I saw that tape put up on Facebook by a black man who was outraged, outraged that he had been lied to and he hadn't been allowed to see the beginning of it until he found it. And he saw that the cops did every possible thing to try and treat George Floyd kindly. He was out of his mind. He had fentanyl on board. He had every drug on board. He wasn't a well man, and he wasn't a nice man. He had done a a home invasion robbery and held a gun to the stomach of a pregnant woman down in Texas a number of years ago. I think he did five years for it. George Floyd was no choir boy. He was no Walter boy. Now, he may not have done something crazy that day, but he wasn't cooperating either, and he brought about his own demise with his use of drugs and his struggling and his ill health. Now, it is indisputed, it is true, that that um, officer, uh, Chauvin, had his knee on Mr. Floyd's neck, but it is also true that in any prosecution for homicide, causation is the first hurdle that has to be cleared. I've spoken about this before on this case and others, but I'm going to speak about it again. Causation. What is causation? It means, as we apply it to this case, you can prove all all you want through videotape evidence and testimony that Derek Chauvin uh, put his knee on George Floyd's neck. That's not the first question that has to be reached 
or first conclusion that has to be reached, first finding a fact that has to be reached by a jury, or in the case of a bench trial, by a judge who is weighing in on the officer's guilt. The first question that anyone has to reach in a homicide case is whether the conduct alleged to have been committed was responsible for the death of the person. In this case, the medical examiner's report, which I read, states that this pressure on the knee is just an incidental event, and while it took place, it had no bearing on Mr. Floyd's death. Mr. Floyd died from other matters, his health and the drug cocktail that he had. He didn't die because Mr. Chauvin had his knee on his neck. Now, once that is proven medically, it doesn't matter if you can prove that he had his knee on his neck. We know he did. We got the film. But if you can't prove that the knee on the neck is what killed him, it doesn't matter if you can prove that his knee was on his neck. It's just like the old example they would give you in, uh, to police officers in the police academy. Somebody shoots the, uh, a man. Another person stabs the same man. Both of them can't be convicted of his murder because the medical examiner is going to have to say that one of those things killed him. He either died from the stab wound or he died from the gunshot. The other person will be convicted or prosecuted for attempted murder, but he can't be convicted of murder because didn't cause it. Now, in Mr. Chauvin's case, um, since it didn't cause his death, he can't even be convicted of attempted murder because it's going to be very difficult for anyone to articulate or prove that by putting his knee on his neck that Mr. Chauvin's intention was anything other than but to restrain him, not to kill him. Now, if someone pulls out a gun and shoots, that's a different story. But even then, police officers are supposed to shoot to stop, not kill. But it's a little more of a premeditated act. And so you might have a better chance of making an argument that that was you know, murder if you have an unjustified shooting. But in the case of using physical restraint and someone dies, you're very hard-pressed to try and show murder. Manslaughter at best, maybe criminally negligent homicide. But in this case, again, it all falls away because Mr. Floyd didn't die from that. So part of the underlying problem we're having here is not that we need to retrain the police, ladies and gentlemen. We need to re-educate the public, and we need to retrain the public and the criminals. It's very, very easy to avoid confrontations with the police. When you want to have a confrontation for police, you're going to find it. It's like the old saying, if you're looking for trouble, you can find it. Let's just look at the logic. If you're a law-abiding citizen, a police officer tells you to do something, you do it. The last thing you want to do is fight with them. Why would you fight with someone armed with a stick and a gun and a radio with which he can summon similarly equipped individuals in unlimited numbers? It just doesn't make sense. And most people wouldn't do something like that. But these people are being inflamed. They're being inflamed by a Democratic Party that has now run amok. It's no longer the Democratic Party of Kennedy or FDR or anything we knew we were growing up. It is now ultra, ultra left. It's been taken over by communists. 
can't even call them socialists. They're communists. They're anarchists. So there is no choice in this election, ladies and gentlemen. There is no conservative versus liberal. There is no uh, communist versus uh, reactionary. There is no left versus right. There is only justice, peace, prosperity versus anarchy, oppression, suppression, and total government control of every facet of your life. If that's what you want, by all means, you can have it. Vote for Biden and Harris. If you want any chance of having the American dream that we grew up in, have your own home, have your kids go to a good school, have them achieve something better than you achieved for yourself, and continued improvement in the human condition, you got one choice. And he's convalescing right now. He deserves our prayers. But I don't think he's going to need them. But he has mine anyway. Vote big time November 3rd for Donald Trump. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.